Welcome to the Motor City Hoops Podcast, your home for all things Detroit Pistons and NBA. Thank you for choosing Motor City Hoops, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, Hoopheads, once you finish listening to this episode, be sure to check out the rest of the Hoopheads Podcast Network for even more great basketball content. Welcome to episode 48 of the Motor City Hoops podcast. As always, I want to remind you to go check out any previous episodes you may have missed as I've had the pleasure of some amazing guests recently. And that does not change today as I am joined by Matt Issa, creator of Quest for the Best series and the newly started Rise Network. Matt, we have been talking about doing this for a minute. I'm glad I finally got you on the podcast and thank you for joining me. Oh yeah, Bryce. I'm I'm excited to finally get to talk to you um, in like a a more public manner you know me and you text pretty much every day so like this is nothing new for us but uh it's cool to finally have our dialogue out in the atmosphere now yeah absolutely so me and matt got to know each other he interviewed me for the quest for the best um i probably ranked about number 60 out of how many ever people he he interviewed which we'll talk about later but kind of connected with that stayed in touch since and and here we are and, and on today's episode matt who is from michigan and i will answer some mailbag questions that i received through twitter and the detroit bad boys website um, i'm excited about doing this as this is a slower time of the year for the nba and pistons so we'll get a chance to talk about things that we know you the listener want to hear And after that, we'll do our normal Around the NBA segment, but with a quest for the best flavor, as I get all in on asking Matt about this major project he undertook. You do not want to miss that part of the episode, guys. That's a huge project that's really exciting um, to talk about. But to start us off, we're going to start with a question from the Detroit Bad Boys website, Scott FL. I assume that means he's from Florida. And he and I interact a little bit on Detroit Bad Boys, and he asked, looking ahead to the 2022 NBA draft, do the Pistons need another top five pick? So Matt, as the guest, I'm going to let you start off on this one. one. Do you think where the Pistons roster is at, they need some more draft capital? Now, Bryce, I'm going to let you in on a little like Michigan secret. Um, So... You know how it says Scott FL? It's like a very common like theme amongst like Michiganders to like once you're like older and you're like getting closer to retirement, you do like six months in Michigan and six months in Florida. Oh, it's okay. Just like, it's just like a thing. Um, I thought I'd point that out. No, I appreciate that. So Scott, if you're listening to this, you'll have to let me know. Like hit, comment in the Detroit bad boy like you always do and let me know if that's the case for you. Yeah, but um, back to what we were talking about, the top five thing. Um. So I just recently read uh, Jake Fisher's book, not to not to give away anything he's going to talk about when you guys uh, meet up for that, but uh, he talks a lot about Sam Hinkie's process and the idea of basically just having as many darts as you can to throw at the board. So I guess like to answer Scott's question, of course, you know, if you can get a top five pick, that would be great. But um, like as we saw with, um, for example, like the Utah Jazz, a team who for the most part has built through the draft a lot of their guys, I mean, their two main guys, Gobert and Mitchell, were guys they drafted. They did it where they were still like playing competitive basketball, and then when draft time came, you know they made the right moves to get the picks they wanted. So you have to have like that balance, you know. You do want to have draft capital, but at the same time, you don't want to dehumanize the current players you have by just forcing them to lose and you know kind of humiliating them in a way by not allowing them to play competitive basketball. So 
it's just um i guess long story short um you have to have like a healthy balance you know you do want a good pick but i think if you just go out there and put out your best players and you develop your young guys and treat them with respect it'll all and you'll you'll get lucky you know you'll get your mitchell pick 13 yeah no i agree with that i think well, the next question will lead into, I think, what Scott is really asking, which is, do we need another top five pick in terms of do we need another talent in the Cade Cunningham mold, like a number two star, which we'll get into in the next question. But to me, I would be a little disheartened if the Pistons end up with a top five pick, Matt, because I don't know that we can do another year of what last year was. We survived last season because the organization and the fan base and everybody was ready to finally strip it down. And and you can do a year of that when it has when it's the first year of it. You know, it's not like, you know, the Sixers fans were getting tired of it after two, three, four, five years of it. You can handle one year, but if we come back and do it again, another 20-win season and another top five pick, I know there'll be some excitement about adding a talent at that level but I think there'll be a lot of disappointment in the way the Pistons performed so to answer the question I guess I would say no I don't want to see a top five pick for the Pistons because I really hope they're competing for the play-in game now if it ends up a top five pick because we get lucky in the lottery that's another thing but that leads us into this next question from Wes Davenport who will be on the podcast actually here in a couple weeks and he said for the sake of the question let's say Kate is going to become championship level number one in Detroit who if anyone on the roster could be the number two put another way which young player has the most interesting ceiling next to Cade regardless of how likely they are to hit it I thought that was really well worded by Wes Matt what would be your answer to that question from Wes Davenport yeah um I don't really like the like the broad term like the number one I think there's like a more nuanced way to look at it like you know, you have, like, your best offensive player, and that the goal is Cade Cunningham is the best offensive player on a championship team. I do think that is his ceiling. So I guess, like, the next question would be your second best player would either be your second best offensive player or your best defensive player. And, I mean, so that could go one of two ways. I think that if everything goes right for this team and from the current core, your second best offensive player on a championship roster of the guys you have right now would probably be Sadiq Bey if he develops that way, and then your best defensive player would probably be Stewart. So, I mean, I guess it's kind of more what your team-building philosophy is at that point. Like, do you think having your two best players also be your two number one options on offense is a successful blueprint for building a championship team? Or do you think, like, okay, so we have this heliocentric guy in Cade, this, like, you know, this on-ball creator of the Luka Doncic Hilk, whatever. Your second best player should be, you know, Isaiah Stewart, who... We've, you know, you've talked about in past shows, his rim protection is is not like defensive anchor level yet, you know, maybe because of his length, but I think he's strong and I think he's really balletic and his footwork in the perimeter guarding other guys. I do think he has the ability to be the best defensive player on a championship competing team. So I guess it goes down to your team building philosophy. So I guess I look at it in, and I think the reason I really like the way Wes talks about this is, is if Cade doesn't become that championship number one, and I don't, I guess I don't look at it necessarily offense or defense. I just look at it as like, he's your dude. He's the face of your franchise. He's your Giannis. So if we're comparing it to the, the current champs, the Milwaukee Bucks, Giannis is the number one. I would say Middleton's number two. Drew Holiday is the number three. So let's stay in that context. Obviously, it starts with Cade Cunningham having to become that number one, I know his game doesn't compare to Giannis, but that Giannis-esque type player. 
I don't see the number two guy on the roster currently. You brought up Sadiq Bey, Isaiah Stewart. I think those guys are really good players. Isaiah Stewart is one of my favorite players on the roster. I think Sadiq Bey is going to be a really good 3 and D type player. I know there's been a lot of comparisons to Chris Middleton. I don't see that absolute ceiling with him. So if those are the guys you're you're talking about that have the highest ceilings, then I don't think that guy is on the roster. So so is that what you would say that you don't see a true like number two on a championship team on this roster and they have to make another move to get it? Um I don't I need I think I need like I know this is a cop out and this is not what Wes wants to hear, but I do really want to see this season because I do sure. think that um like the archetype of Isaiah where he's this really like additive guy. Like he does not take away a lot. Like, you know, you don't need to create shots for him in your offense if you're a coach and you're game planning. You know, he just kinda he gets put backs, he's lobs, you know, he's a good defender. He you know, he's very versatile as a defender. He's strong. He cares a lot. You can tell he's got a really high motor. So I mean that archetype of player, um, those guys, you know, they tend to be very, very valuable on a team construct and, you know, he could maybe be the best defensive player and then your say your third or fourth best offensive player on um not third I'd say fourth best offensive player so I guess I guess I mean he could he could be the second best guy I really need to see how he improves as a passer this season and if he can add maybe like a little floater to his game or something and he can he can become a better rim protector and then with Sadiq I know he did he did flash a lot of playmaking chops in the summer league everyone wants to talk about that um with that archetype of player again it's like I he's got to be more than like everyone wants to compare him to Clay Thompson, but I think at this stage of the game, every, he's got to be more than Clay Thompson because if he wants to be the second best player, that is because Clay Thompson was how, no matter how you slice it, at the very best, the third best player on those Warriors teams. When it was just him, Steph, and Draymond, I think he was the third best player. So he's got to be able to be better at putting the ball on the floor, be a better decision maker, be better at attacking closeouts than than Clay was if he wants to be the second guy. But um, I know that's a lot of rambling again. I do ramble a lot, but um, I guess. I need to see. I need to see how much more they have this season maturation-wise before I can kind of make a a summary judgment on it. No, I think that's completely fair. I think that's a great point, and I agree with you. I think this year is going to tell Pistons fans and the front office and everybody else that cares about the Detroit Pistons – you know, not the whole story, but you're going to get a really good look at some of these guys. What you know, what kind of jump does Stewart make? Does he improve the three point shot? Does Sadiq improve his all around offensive game to be able to play make a little bit, shoot in the mid range? Uh, you know, a couple other guys. A lot of people are still high on on Killian Hayes' ceiling. I, I'm not quite as high. I'm not down on Killian, but I don't see the ceiling quite as much. I'm one, and I think I'm a little more on, on my own here. I think Hami Diallo has a, a really high ceiling as well. If you're talking about absolute ceilings. Um, to answer West Davenport's question, I would think that I would say that Hami may have the highest possible ceiling. Now it may be the least, you know, the lowest chance of him actually hitting it. So to answer West's question, I would say Hami of the current roster. But to really answer the question, I don't think the guy is on the roster. I think the the Pistons have another major move they have to make, whether it's hitting a home run in free agency this next off season or packaging some of these young guys that we really like and trading for that number two option so any thoughts on that Matt in terms of Killian Hayes Hami Diallo or that outside option of bringing in like a true second star next to Kate yeah I have two questions for you Bryce one um you agree with me right that Clay was the third best player on that like that Warriors trio Warriors trio right well is still the third best player 
yeah, I, I think on those championship teams, Draymond, Draymond has started to become undervalued because of what Draymond looks like now later in his career. But yeah, I, I think it goes undervalued how important Draymond was to those teams. So yeah, I, I wouldn't argue with you, argue with you on that. I'd say honestly, Draymond still has like a solid case as top twenty-five, top thirty guy in the league. But I, I know that's a different story for a different. Yeah, podcast. he's very polarizing for sure. My other question was for you. Can you kind of explain to me the Diallo thing? Like, how? Like, what do you think his ceiling is? So here's my thing with Hami Diallo. I think he has some playmaking in his game. I, you know, he averaged over four assists in his time with Oklahoma City. We did not see that in Detroit. Detroit, admittedly. I think if the three-point shot can come around, and that's a huge if, I completely understand that. And that's why I said, even though his ceiling may be the most, he may be the least likely to actually hit his ceiling. But with his explosive athleticism, his ability to get the rim, he's a top rebounding wing in the league, a top five, top 10 rebounding wing in the league per 100 possessions, which you talk to me about all the time. And I just think he can run a pick and roll. I think he can get a rebound and lead the break. I'm not saying he's like a true point guard by any means. I just think he has some offensive initiator in him I think he's great going to the rim and if the three-point shot can be respectable I really like it I'm not saying he's a championship number two but I think he has a very high ceiling um, based on those things yeah I mean and the funny thing is you know me being from Michigan you still watch way more Pistons than I do so I, I don't I don't know like I do know like I'm familiar with Diallo's game but I guess I never really thought of him as the guy with the highest ceiling of that like kind of young quartet of guys no i i would and again i think i'm probably out on a limb here i don't think most pistons fans would agree with me i think most would probably say killian hayes or sadiq bay would be my guess and if if you guys are listening i would love detroit bad boys in the comments section on twitter hit me hit me and matt up and let us know what you guys think um but let's keep this moving a little bit here matt let's go to the question number three this comes from connor Carey on twitter pistons pace last season was in the bottom third do you expect the roster moves to emphasize shooting will push our overall pace higher this year and would killian and Cade benefit from a faster pace given superior processing yeah, I mean, so the team that, I guess my vision of this Pistons team this season, the best case scenario of this Pistons team is they become the Hornets of last season, you know? And I mean, that's not like a, a crazy comparison. You bring in this big ball handling guard to run your offense around, and he's a superstar, you know? So what did the Hornets do last year? They played faster. They brought more athletic guys around LiAngelo. Um, excuse me, LaMelo. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, obviously, you know, playing with pace helps. That's going to help them win games in the regular season that they probably wouldn't win otherwise, you know, like kind of like the Knicks last year with playing harder than everyone else. But, um, like, in the long term, when it comes down to, like, you're talking about the playoffs and stuff, playing, like, a faster pace isn't generally, like, conducive to, like, you know, good playoff basketball because the game slows down. You need to be able to run your sets in the half court. So I think, yeah, you're right. Like, in the beginning, it'll be really helpful, especially with a guy like Killian who – he does struggle scoring efficiently, so maybe you know getting out in transition before the defense is set will help him out. But I, I don't think it's like a long-term solution. But if you know if the goal is this year to to win more games than we're supposed to, then yeah, hell yeah, why wouldn't we run with a little faster pace? We definitely have the personnel for it. 
So first off, Connor, I love this question whenever you send it out. It's something I've thought about, talked about last year, wanting to see the pace pushed. But Matt, you, you I, I really liked your answer there. I, I think that's really true because I was just going to come on and say, yes, push the pace. I think Killian's better in transition. I think Cade will be good in transition. I think a lot of our second unit guys like Frank Jackson, Hami Diallo, even a Josh Jackson, I think if you're going to utilize them in transition is probably better. Olenek trailing, shooting the three, Sekou running, who we're going to talk about here in a second so I do think it fits personnel but Matt you bring up a really good point and so that's the give and take like what do you want this team are you trying to build that long-term success where maybe it's not as pretty right now but you're developing playoff caliber players guys that will be successful in the playoffs because that strategy doesn't really work like you've said in the playoffs so it'll be interesting to see that balance and and maybe that's something as Pistons fans we need to remember this season when maybe they're not pushing the pace as much and they're playing in the half court that maybe they're trying to condition kids Killian and Cade and Sadiq and all the any uh, Hami Diallo and a Frank Jackson to utilize and be efficient in half court sets because if that's ultimately one what we want to do is be winning games and series in the playoffs that's where they have to be at their best. Yeah, I mean, like, don't get me wrong here. I'd be the happiest guy on earth if Killian Hayes turns into Ben Simmons, but like we've seen it with Ben Simmons, like he's this incredible transition scorer. He makes great decisions in transition. He leverages strength really well in transition. But what comes to playoffs, like. You know, there's there's whole quarters where you don't even see Ben Simmons, and that's because you know possessions are slowing down. He can't he can't push the pace on misses the way he wants to. So it's just a different game, and you have to really think about it. I like to think about it like um I don't know like if you have like a a gambling addiction, right? And you try to like get fast cash. You know, that's kind of like pushing the pace early with this younger personnel. You know, we're trying to get fast cash, fast cash. Um, but like long term, it's not a good investment to you know to gamble and. Um, try to make money like an easy way. So, so let me ask you this then, Matt. Would you, if you're Dwayne Casey, if you're Troy Weaver who built this roster, would you then kind of just mortgage wins this season for the long term? Like, would you, would you not necessarily? I'm not saying that they play slow, like you know the Knicks or something like that. I, I, but like, would you play the pace, the half court game, and just really, even if there's struggles and there's growing pains, and force them to learn, you know, to really execute sets and run the ball screen and be highly efficient in the half court? Or would you let them run a little bit more just to build some confidence? Because I would say that, you know, getting some wins and some success and, you know, would be helpful for them as well. What would you do? What, where would your focus be? Yeah, I mean, the answer is somewhere in between, right? And that that's on Coach Casey to figure it out. But uh, like like we said, the best version of this Pistons team, no matter how you slice it, if everything works like in their favor, is they're, they're the Hornets of last year. And, you know, the Hornets had a good season, a very promising season. I'm sure that the organization's very happy with that. But that's still like, you know, you're a bubble team. Um, not a bubble team. Excuse me. The What do they call it again? The play-in team, right? I'm thinking of the bubble. But, um, yeah, so, I mean... There's this story actually I was thinking about while we was, while I was preparing for this podcast. I really wanted to, a chance to tell it. Um, so I was speaking with uh, Coach Chris Carowell, assistant coach at Duke, uh, for the quest for the best, right? And we got on the subject of Cade Cunningham because we were talking about like that innate ability to see the floor and see things like a move ahead of everyone else. And Coach Carowell, of course, he was actually a part of Duke's effort to recruit. Um, Cade to come to Duke and he just he the way he talked about Cade and his like ability to make decisions in the half court and his ability to kind of manipulate the pieces in the board to his advantage and to see things that you know even guys who are basketball junkies 
and who play the game to like the most I guess they're the most studious people on earth like they don't see it like it's a natural thing you know it's something you can't teach but um so why wouldn't you want to you know give Cade more opportunities with the ball in his hand in the half court to kind of to play that way you know no, I love it. That's a great story, Matt. I love that. I've talked about it before that one of the, the I don't want to say craziest, but um, most telling quotes that have come from Tor- Troy Weaver when he compared Kate Cunningham's basketball IQ to that of Larry Bird. I just, I think that's high praise. And um, I'm sure we may discuss Larry Bird here in a little bit whenever we talk about the quest for the best. But, you know, that's a, just a, yet another story about Cade Cunningham and his basketball IQ and how smart of a player he is. But let's go back to Sekou. So this one came from Lewis from Spain, again on Twitter. One thing that usually goes unmentioned about Sekou is the fact that he now has two very talented playmakers and passers that are going to reward his efforts running the floor and cutting to the basket. Is that something you also see happening? Could this be huge for his confidence? Um, yeah, so I mean, back to like Cade, like manipulating the pieces on the board again, not to compare him to like an all time, like basketball savant, but like Nikola Jokic does the same thing. You know, he can, he, it doesn't really matter, um, like in a, like a regular season game for him, like what other pieces are around him. He can manipulate the defense in the way he wants to and create openings. And, you know, Sekou is very athletic. He's very, he's very fast. He's very lengthy. And I'm sure that having a guy like Cade and even Killian to, to help, you know, create, uh, create, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Um, create advantageous situations within the defense, you know, that'll help him out. So I'm sure he'll benefit from playing with a guy like Cade. Well, and I think one thing we talked about, I believe it is on the last episode with Bryce is a lot of times when you get a guy like Cage, you think you just have to surround him with shooters, right? Like you have to give him all this space and then you let him go to work and then he finds the open guy. But it's okay. Like if you have Cade and three shooters and then Sekou cutting and slashing and running the floor, like that's okay as well. Like that's still a good combination. So it doesn't hurt to have a guy like Sekou as well. Um, I, I do think it's going to help him because I do think Sekou works hard and runs the floor in a way that creates advantages, like you said. And I do think at times over the last couple of years, he hasn't necessarily been playing with guys that were able then to reward him um, with the pass, or maybe they just didn't see it. Now, I think some of it comes down to trust as well. I think sometimes people, you know, his teammates didn't trust him to catch it or finish the play or whatever it was. But I do think that having a guy like Cade, who we've talked about, you know, the last couple minutes, you tell that story, that, that really sees the floor well, knows how to manipulate the floor, is going to help a guy like Sekou, who I truly believe, Matt, has done a really good job developing his ability. He, you know, people say cutting, and everybody just thinks it's easy. To me, there's an art to it. You have to know when and how and where, and there's timing and all of that. So it's not as easy as what it sounds like. So I do think... Cade coming to town along with Killian, like you mentioned, will help, uh, you know, highlight those skills, those attributes from Sekou even more. Yeah, and of course, I'm always going to defer to you when it comes to the more like subtle, like intricacies of, you know, certain Pistons players. But like, you're right. I mean, off ball movement is not just like having a high motor and like just running around and like hoping something works. Like it's got it's very precise. You need to know, like, you know, when to hit this hole, when to fake it, you know, when to come out all that stuff and like another thing you said about the surrounding him with shooters thing i mean we kind of saw it in dallas you know with luca they were kind of the mindset okay luca's such a like a an incredible ball handling force like why would we take the ball out of his hands but i mean then when the double does come and he kicks it out to the 
supposedly open shooter. Like rotations are so fast now that the defensive defender will be coming in, and you're you're kicking it out to a guy who can't expose the closeout. You know what I mean? They can't attack the closeout. So you, you're right. You definitely want guys who can put the ball on the floor around Cade, even though they're not going to have as high of a usage as they should because they will be with Cade Cunningham. Yeah, absolutely. And I agree with that too. Like, I think a lot of times it's like, oh, they have to be able to knock down the shot. No, like, you know, most NBA guys, the defense is going to close out to them in some way. And it's going to give them an advantage whenever they're out of position, have had to help, and now they're recovering. And a guy like Sekou is a guy that can take advantage of those situations. And I just want to mention before we move on with Sekou, so there's some other subtleties to running the floor and cutting as well. You know, it's not always about him receiving the ball. Sometimes he cuts, forces an off ball helper, and then it gets somebody else a shot. So there's all sorts of those things. Um, I know Sekou is very polarizing. He's another guy Matt we talked about this earlier wanting another season to see these guys I really want that from Sekou excuse me I would like to see Sekou play 82 games this year we have you know an average of 18 to 20 minutes something like that um, every single game just to to really get a chance to show is it going to be there is he developing anything what kind of NBA player what kind of NBA role can he have Um, but moving on and and we've talked a lot about Cade Cunningham already and rightfully so and we're going to talk about him some more in this question and this one comes from Paco Cunningham on Twitter he says sorry my English is not very good Paco you did great man no worries at all the arriving of Cade to Detroit Pistons will help Killian Hayes to grow as a player or will cut his improvement. So what do you think, Matt? You know, Cade Cunningham, we've just talked about his basketball IQ and, you know, kind of just talked positively. Do you think this is going to eventually overall hurt Killian Hayes' improvement and growth with the Pistons? Yeah, um, this is going to kind of force me into another story, but, uh, so Jackson Lloyd, you know, you guys should follow him on Twitter. Very, very smart guy. But me and him have had conversations about this in the past. And, you know, I used to be kind of of the school of thought where having too much ball handling can get redundant. But there's a difference between having like the, you know, like the, no disrespect to their games, but like the Lou Will, Jamal Crawford, like, you know, I'm going to dribble the shit out of the ball and I'm going to take this like contested mid-range jumper over you. And then there's like the ball handler who's, you know, a guy who puts the ball on the floor, but he's a smart decision maker and I think that Cade and Killian both fall under that category so having two smart decision makers regardless of whether or not you know they are the type that likes to have the ball in their hands I think will work well and it's like similar to something we've disagreed on recently with the the Davion thing I think that having Davion and Fox and Halliburton three guys who are smart and can put the ball on the floor is a great thing you know you want guys who can make decisions because basketball is all about making that split second read you know what I mean no, for sure. So what Matt refer, is referring to, guys, is, um, you know, and if you listen to the podcast or have been listening for a while, I, I put Davion Mitchell's selection by the Kings as one of my least favorite picks in the draft. And, you know, Matt and I, you know, text back and forth. And, and as Matt just said, he's kind of a fan of that. And um, I, I I will say he looked good at Summer League and not to overreact to Summer League. But, man, he has a lot of explosion and wiggle to his game. So it will be interesting to see how that lineup works out in Sacramento. Um, But for this Pistons lineup, I I don't think so, Paco. Like, I I do think... If, if Killian doesn't work, it's because Killian's not going to work, if that makes sense. Like, it's not because Cade came to town and all of a sudden is dominating the ball and not letting Killian do what he does best. Like, 
Here's my thing. I, I still don't know that a lot of people believe that Cade can be as effective as an quote unquote off ball player as what he what he can be. What well let me stop here, Matt. Do you are you okay with Cade playing off the ball that much? Because I do believe this. If you're just gonna take Killian Hayes and play him off the ball, then I do think it hinders his growth a little bit. If Cade's gonna have to dominate the ball that much, I don't see that, but do you think Cade needs to or is going to? Well, let's just look at the most extreme example of the high usage guy we've seen in recent history, James Harden. You, you know, in Houston, D'Antoni Ball and Maury Ball, you know, took it to the ultimate extreme. He was up to like 40% usage rate. You know, he monopolized the, way, the ball in a way we've never seen before. So when it comes to Brooklyn, a lot of people, myself included, are kind of, you know, we exercise a lot of trepidation in that we're like, okay, you have him, you have Kyrie Irving, you have Kevin Durant. Like, there's only one ball, you know, but what happens? James Harden is the offensive savant we've always known him to be, and he learns how to play with other high-level guys. And I think that Cade, who possesses, I'm going to sound really, really silly for saying this, but I think even higher feel for the game than even Harden does, I think he'll figure out how to be successful in off-ball situations. I love it, man. I really love the way you put stuff, Matt. Like that was perfect. And so I hope that puts some comfort in your mind, Paco, and, and anybody else who is worried about that. I know this fit between Killian and Kays has been talked about so much, but I do agree. You said it way better than I have or am going to, but I just think Cade can, he can fill whatever role you need him to. Like that's, that's the beauty of Cade Cunningham and he's a great shooter. And I think what I'm excited to, because you know, Matt, I'm an X and O guy and I like to go to the film. I'm excited to see what Dwayne Casey draws up just because Killian starts in the ball screen and roll or screen and pop doesn't mean the play isn't actually for Cade to get it on the weak side and a help defender or his defender recovering and then right into another ball screen for him or something so I think there's all sorts of fun things you can do so I don't think it's going to hinder him um in Detroit for Killian Hayes. The only thing is, Cade may get blamed for it, but I think when it really comes down to it, if Killian doesn't pan out or reach his ceiling or whatever the expectations are, I really think it just comes down to Killian wasn't as good as what we thought. And again, I hope we give him the entire season to really find that out. Oh, yeah. And, you know, just sidebar, Bryce, you know, I love your X's and O's stuff, especially the stuff you've been doing for the bad boys. Uh, I forget, what was the title of the article, The Cunningham breakdown you did I think after his first summer league game it was just really well written and the film you picked out was brilliant and you're the thing that's different about what you do compared to other people is you actually do the voiceover it's not just us watching it and kind of being left to our own devices yeah like uh, uh, again Hornets film room on Twitter was was somebody that I reached out to I didn't know him he didn't know me from anybody and I was like hey how are you doing this and he told me and I just started doing it and and honestly it came from scouting um, and we're getting ready to get we have one more but you know Jeff Jones who you interviewed for quest for the best my former coach was you know we did a ton of scouting when I was in college and so I just kind of learned it that way and I just I know it's it's more fun to listen to the or watch those whenever somebody's kind of telling you what to watch for and continuing to try to find ways to enhance it and I'm just I'm thankful for the bad boys Detroit bad boys for giving me a platform to do it so I really appreciate that Matt Um, and I hope anybody listening that has seen those um, is enjoying that content as well yeah and I just want to say you know for all those listening at home like I feel like everyone who kind of listens to this podcast shares like a similar ambition to one day be involved in the NBA, like, you know, kind of in a content creation standpoint in the way you do with the bad boys. And, like, one thing I've noticed about you is you've grown exponentially so quickly, and I think it's because you are such, like, a like you said, like, you didn't even know the Hornets film room 
uh, individual, and yet you were, you were like you were willing enough to reach out to them, and I'm sure you did it in the same way you talked to me, you know, very sincerely, very kindly, and I think that's something like everyone at home should take with them, like you know, be like a genuine person, and that will take you a long way in whatever you're trying to do. Yeah, absolutely, man. Very well said. And like I said, I just, I appreciate everybody, you and the relationships. Like, honestly, some of the people I talk to on a daily basis now are people I've never met in person that I've just met over the last few months through Twitter and the podcast and everything. It's, it's incredible. And it, it, it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, and so one last Twitter question from MSU Lions fan. What is the biggest need on this team at this point? Scoring, rim protection, or something else? Um, Matt, do you have a, a specific area for this Pistons uh, team that you think is really a need or a real glaring hole? Um, my normal answer to this question, like for any team, honestly, is just like smarter, better decision makers. But in the specific case of the Pistons, I do think they need a little bit more length at the center position. I do like Isaiah Stewart, and I just spent a lot of time raving about him. But he's also, what is he, about 6'9", I'd say, right? Yeah, the, the, um, you know, people so, rave and, about the the wingspan, but, um, yeah, it's, it's a little shorter. So, I mean, somebody, you know, it would be nice to have a nice seven-footer of, like, a Clint Capella ilk. I, I say Clint Capella specifically because I think that the Hawks' uh, team-building kind of blueprint is something the Pistons should definitely be trying to follow. Yeah, I agree. It's been talked a lot about. And I'll be honest, you know, when we went into free agency, I've said this multiple times, so I'm sorry for repeating myself to, you know, those of you that listen to every episode, but I wasn't excited about the Kelly Olynyk signing initially. I, I wanted to get a guy like Nerlens Noel. I just think that vertical lob threat, that rim protector. But I will say this, you know, you just can't fill every hole um, whenever you're the Detroit Pistons in the place we're in right now. There's going to be holes. We went into the offseason with a ton of them, guys, and we filled two really huge ones, maybe the most important, and that was a, a franchise guy, and, and whether it was luck or whatever, but you, we got the number one pick and we got Cade Cunningham, and now it's whether he develops into that guy or not, but but we hopefully that guy is now on the roster, and that's maybe the most, that, there's no doubt that's the most important one. The second one was shooting. I thought shooting was a glaring weakness. One of the, the questions earlier kind of reference that and I thought Troy Weaver in the the front office did as good as they possibly could trying to do bring in more shooting traded out Mason Plumlee for Kelly Olenek drafted Cade 40% three-point shooter Isaiah Livers even a guy like Luca Garza is a good three-point shooter so I think they tried you brought back Frank Jackson so I think they tried to fill a couple holes and then we'll see what we have this year and then you can attack a couple more but I agree with Matt so I think my number one answer is I do think rim protection slash like a, a really really good role guy that's like a threat at the rim kind of a lob threat so that will conclude the mailbag. I appreciate everybody who asked any questions, whether they came off Twitter or Detroit Bad Boys. This is really like the first mailbag that I've done on Motor City Hoops. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And I, I really would like to do them every couple episodes, every three or four episodes, maybe just a couple questions every episode once we get into the season. So again, you know, hit me up on Twitter or drop a comment on Detroit Bad Boys and let me know what you thought about it. But for the rest of this episode, we get to do something I'm really excited about. And that's talk to Matt about about his quest for the best project, the content, the time that went into it, and everything else. And I'm just gonna start off by saying this, guys. I consider myself a very motivated person, somebody that can really grind it out. You know, I have a family, three kids, a job, I own a business, I coach, I do the podcast, and, and multiple of you guys know what I'm talking about. You have all these things going on. And I told Matt this the other day, I respect him so much because I don't know that I would have been able to 
dive into this thing the way he did. And like I said, I consider myself a very hard worker, so I respect the heck out of him for the amount of time he put into this. And I'll let him talk about that a little bit. But first, Matt, just kind of tell people what Quest for the Best is and what they could be looking forward to when it drops here in a couple weeks. Yeah, so the Quest for the Best is a six-part podcast series that seeks to provide the most up-to-date and most thorough um, top 10 list created up to this point in NBA history. Uh, it's going to be kind of like a Netflix series type deal, except for for podcasts. You know, it's going to, the premiere, which the release date is still pending, it's going to be announced within, hopefully by the end of this week, I'm going to be announcing the release date, but it's going to be very, very soon. And when it does release, the first two episodes will come out together in a little bundle. And after that, the other four episodes will be released on a week-by-week basis. So it's like kind of like a, a narrative series of the... I don't know if anyone's ever listened to like Jack McCallum's Dream Team tapes, but it would be similar to that. So Matt, I, I just want to give you a chance before we get into like how much time you put in everything. Like... Just name drop. Like, I, I, I want to name drop for you. I, I love it. Like, I know you've been tweeting it out, but some of these people may not. So, like, just tell these people, our listeners, some of the names of the people that responded to your emails, got back to you, and you had a chance to sit down and talk with. Yeah, well, one person I really want to just shout out because he didn't get to do an interview with me because of some uh, conflicts with, like, his, you know, his agent was working on a different project at the time, and it just wouldn't work out. But uh, Jack McCallum actually did uh, – he did make the effort to connect with me over email. We talked a little bit about doing it, but he did uh, connect me with Bob Ryan, which honestly, I think that, you know, Bob, he's a little bit old school in his tendencies. He doesn't, he doesn't like analytics at all, but I think that getting to speak with him was like a life-changing experience for me because he's probably the most knowledgeable figure in terms of basketball history that we have, you know, on the planet Earth. So it was a privilege to speak to him. One regret of mine is I wish... Because when I talked to him, I was about, I would say, three months into my research process. So I wasn't I wasn't as like knowledgeable as I consider myself to be now. And there's probably a couple of questions which, if I would have had the chance to talk to him about, I definitely would have asked him. But Bob is really, he was a big guy. Um, I got to talk to Dean Oliver, who's one of my heroes in the field of analytics. He's kind of like the Bill James of NBA. He wrote a famous book, Basketball, the Game on Paper. He's now the the assistant coach for the Washington Wizards. I got to talk to Mike Woodson, who was famously uh, the assistant coach on the Detroit Pistons from 2003-2004, the year they won the championship. Um, You know, so many different coaches throughout the NBA, college, uh, former players. It was was awesome. Uh, I I just recently spoke to Trajan Langdon, the Pelicans GM. That was just a really cool experience to get it from, like, the guy who's making decisions from a team-building perspective, but so many different names, so many knowledgeable people. And honestly, I'll never I'll never think about basketball the same way as I did before this project, you know? No, absolutely. I'm sure it was like, just, I remember whenever you emailed me or you know, I don't know if you hit me up with a DM on Twitter or whatever it was. And, you know, you kind of laid out some of these people and, and I'll be honest, my first thought is like, why is he asking me to talk whenever he's talking to these other people? But it's just, it was always fun as we got to know each other and then you would interview somebody and then you would text me or we would talk about it and just all the different experiences and, um, the, perceptions that people have perspectives excuse me perspectives that people provided you I just can't imagine you know the the wealth of knowledge um, that you have now I know you were a knowledge basketball guy beforehand but that you have after talking to those guys those types of people so I, I do want to ask why did this start Matt like you know you're in college you right now you're going to grad school 
why why the quest for the best like where did it get started why did it get started and then how has it evolved over the over time yeah um i'm gonna get a little personal right now but uh so i am actually starting this is my i just started two weeks ago my first two weeks at law school at michigan state university shout out msu lions fan um but uh so last year right around this time you know, the pandemic hit everyone in different ways. It got me to think about like just different things in my life uh, differently. But I was really, for a long time in my undergrad life, trying to... I'm a very obsessive guy. You know, I talk about it in the series. I, Whenever I do something, I do it to like the fullest extent. And probably I go a little overboard. But um, And I was really obsessed with the prospect of getting into law school. I thought that if I got into law school, you know, I'd be really happy. I'd be really satisfied. I'd reach a, a goal that um that would kind of just give me contentment you know but um i got into law school in december and i couldn't help but feeling kind of dissatisfied by it you know you get excited for a day or two you're like oh it's a great feeling you feel on top of the world but it's kind of like i don't know like you know i'm in law school right now i'm very happy i'm learning a lot but like this isn't this isn't enough for me like just to to chase the satisfaction of getting there you know i want something where I'm I'm going to be obsessed about it, but I'm obsessed about it because I'm in love with it, not because I'm I'm, you know, obsessed with reaching a certain goal. And so, you know, I I done some writing on the side just for my my buddy Rod's website, fully loaded. We'll talk more about what happened with that, but um I'm like to myself, you know, I want to do this mini series. And it's the quest for the best. You know, I want to talk about the 10 greatest players in NBA history and it was just like it was more of like a I don't know. I guess like when I started, I didn't imagine it would become this. It was more of a kind of, my buddies and me, you know, we'd always argue, like, you know, LeBron or Jordan, LeBron, Jordan. I was, uh, my dad, you know, he raised me kind of old school. He's like, you know, Jordan's the best basketball player you're ever going to see. And so I really wanted to do this project in the beginning, kind of just to show like, okay, I'm going to do all this research and I'm going to, I'm going to show that Jordan is the best basketball player that ever lived, you know? But, um, I started doing the work, I started reading some books, I started watching some film, and I, I really just, the days would go by, and I wouldn't, you know, I would forget to eat sometimes, that's how, like, obsessed I would get with it, and I was having so much fun, and it became more about, you know, Matt, I'm gonna do this in the most objective way I can, I'm gonna take out all the biases I have, all the things I've thought about players, and I'm gonna look at this, and I'm gonna really try to add something to the NBA literature that can benefit people, and I always talk about, you know, I want I want the things in my life that I do to mean something, you know? And so I want this project to mean something. I want it to be meaningful to people. I want, regardless of whether or not you believe who I have at 7 or 8 or 9, I want you to know that I took out everything that I had in my mind before and I made sure to work as hard as I possibly could to reach that conclusion. Yeah, so and that's, man, that, that was awesome. I love, uh, you know, you opening up about that a little bit to the listeners. And, and that's what I was trying to portray whenever I started off, you know, when I was talking about how, like, I just couldn't imagine going down the road you went, you know, in a, you know, in a good way, a complimentary way to Matt, because as you could hear in his voice right there, you know, he is, he was all in on this. And again, as somebody that I, you know, that gets to talk to Matt every day about it, I could tell how obsessive he was with it and how hard he worked at it and the hours of film and everything else. And so I just, you know, guys, I just, we're going to make multiple pitches. I'm going to make multiple pitches for you guys to check it out. But like, I I really encourage you to check it out because that it's not something 
some fly-by-night project where he's watched a little bit of film, talked to a couple guys, and then put this list together. You know, and that's what I told my former coach, Jeff Jones. I, I me and Matt were talking. He's like, that was your former coach? I was like, yeah. He's like, he played against Michael Jordan? I was like, yeah, they played against each other in college. I was like, you want me to try to put you in contact? And that's what, that's the, uh, Matt may remember, I don't remember how I said it, but I pretty much text Coach Jones and I said, this isn't just some like fly by night job. Like he's being serious, Coach. It was, it, uh, <laughs> go ahead. Not to interrupt you. It was rinky dinky fly by night stuff. <laughs> and so I, I just wanted coach, like I wouldn't have sent him to coach Jones if I didn't believe I wouldn't have wasted coach Jones time, but I felt comfortable reaching out to coach Jones because I knew the amount of time he had put into it and how serious he was about it. And so I want to talk about some of that. What, what criteria did you use, Matt? Obviously I know this because you interviewed me and I know the questions you asked me and we've talked about it, but let the listeners know what, what criteria did you use? Some of, you know, not, we don't have time to get into all the questions but like what were you trying to get from those questions those interviews you had with people and some of the other metrics you're using to determine this top 10 list yeah um so like the questions differed with different people you know like coach jeff jones was a completely different thing it was very michael jordan centric he also spent um he used to spend like summers i believe at at larry bird's house or off seasons or whatever it was him and rick carlisle would and he would sit in on pacers practices but um so his was very specific to that, those questions, but like, I guess at the end of the day, it was it was just trying to get more information to meet my general criteria, which is basically my goal here was I think there's a lot of different camps of like the way people talk about basketball. Like there's like the Bob Bryan, Jack McCallum, like journalism, and you talk about like more of the human element of those basketball players, their lives, how that affects how they play, because that stuff matters. You know, like for example, a fun anecdote that I learned. It's not fun. This is actually very sad, but like from uh, studying uh, Jackie McMullen, listening to some of her stuff on Kevin Garnett was, you know, if you watch Kevin Garnett in game, he is probably one of the most hyper aware. He, uh, his rotations, I've never, like I've watched him for hours and I have not seen him like on a play miss a rotation. He's always right there. You know what I mean? And what I learned from listening to her was that at night when he was a kid, he couldn't sleep because he was worried that his his house would get broken into because, you know, he lived in a tougher part of his um, his geographical area. And so, like, that kind of instilled that hyper-focusedness in his game, you know? Like, so those human elements impact his game. So I, I looked at that stuff. The, I call it the anecdotal, you know? And then I, I look at, you know, the X's and O's, the things me and you talk about all the time because that stuff obviously matters. So I looked at that because I think people, especially media pundits, like those talk show guys, they miss out on that, and that stuff's very important. And then I looked at the analytics because at the end of the day, I'm a human being, and analytics, you know, they see every possession. It's just a measure of characteristics on the basketball floor. And then lastly, I looked at accolades, and for that, I created my own statistic called um, Adjusted Osaki Score. I have um, an article I wrote on it that's going to be on the Hoops Head uh, website very soon. But basically what it does is, solo background, I'm a... Uh, I'm a psychology major, and so, like, you know, I think about things like that, but um, it takes, like, it uh, it assigns points to certain awards that players achieve, and, like, it adds them up, and it ranks them amongst one another, and I think it, it's a very simple stat, but it does a really good job at showing maybe not how great the player truly is, but how great we believe them to be, you know what I mean? Because at the end of the day, human beings are who votes on these awards, and I think that matters you know, it can't just solely be what you did on the basketball court. You have to also take the outside elements and you have to combine those two. And I think that way you can 
you can holistically say like this player is that great you know what i mean yeah as i'm listening to you talk and I, i'm just trying so hard matt so for the listeners like matt has i don't know how many people have been allowed to listen to this stuff but i've actually got to listen to some of the episodes that he's recorded and so i've been privy to that and i feel one i'm very humbled and honored that matt cares what i think about it and has asked my opinion on it but was thinking about a quote from one of the episodes i listened to and it actually from james edwards the third you know the beat writer for the for the athletic and something he said about how that stuff matt matters like the moments matter and outside perceptions and kind of the 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 legacy you leave on people and stuff like that so uh, again I'm trying not to spoil anything Matt doesn't want spoiled but I did when I was listening to it I was like man that's a great quote from James Edwards the third so let, let's talk about that just a little bit Matt um you know the, the the logistics of all of it so you talked about when it's going to be released when where where's it going to come out where can people listen to it obviously i know but um let the listeners know where where they're going to be able to find it yeah um so apple spotify 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 i can't talk right now stitcher amazon podcasts um all those like general ones you might find it on if you go to my twitter which um you know hopefully bryce will just uh, link that at the end of the episode but if you go to my twitter you can find um, in the link in my bio, it takes you to like the Captivate site, and basically you can just click on whichever podcast platform you use. It'll take you right there, and you can follow it right now so that you'll be ready. Once the episodes do come out, it'll automatically download them for you. But, um, you know, obviously right now it's not like not very uh, high up in the, the podcast algorithm, so I think you have a hard time just kind of searching it up on your podcast. But that's besides the point. If you guys all follow, it'll be really easy to find. So please follow. <laughs> no. And again, so what, I know we've talked a little bit about this. I don't want you to tease too much. I understand that, but can you give, just, just tease it a little bit for the listeners about, you know, the, the rankings and some maybe guys that may be on there may not be. And some of that stuff. What can, what can you give away? What can I get you to give away here, Matt, on, on the Motor City Hoops podcast before you hit it big and start going on everybody else's? Um, by the way, I want to say something just to answer Bryce's question earlier. I believe Bryce is one of, if I'm counting off, you're probably one of six or seven people who's heard anything from this series. So now, you're very, very selective. I feel even more honored and humbled now. So, yeah, my girlfriend or my parents have not have not heard any of it yet. So, but um, what can I give away? Um, one thing I will say. Okay, for those of you who read Bill Simmons' book of basketball or have read um, Ben Taylor's Backpicks Top 40, or um, any real, like any of Jack McCallum's Top 10s or Bob Bryan's, it's it's different than all of those. You know, it's significantly different than all of those, but it's not different for the sake of being different. It's different because this is what I believe at this moment in time to be the the reflection of the 10 best players. Now what I will say, and Bryce does know this, I believe that there are 13 players with legitimate arguments for the top 10. So, I mean, like when it does come out, you know, I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of, hopefully if people listen, I'm going to get some DMs like, hey, you know, I, I think that this guy should be there, this guy. I think that there's an argument for all 13 of these guys to fall somewhere in the spectrum. But um, ultimately, I believe in the 10 that I have being the 10 best players. If that makes sense, ten greatest, not best. There's a difference between the two. So I will say I know number ten, and then eleven, twelve, and thirteen. Eleven through thirteen, I don't know the order. I don't think you put it in order, correct, Matt? Like you just list those three guys. 
Yeah, because it messes with the billing. You know, it sounds so much cooler when I say, who are the 10 greatest players that ever lived? Not who are the 13. Yeah, so I know the three that just missed the cut, and then I know who number 10 was based off what I've got to listen. And it's just... And again, I kind of said this last episode when Bryce Hendricks had kind of a, a quote-unquote hot take about the Pistons starting line. Like, he, I, I promise you guys, when you listen to it and he gives you the three guys that just missed the top 10, he's not doing it as a hot take or to get clicks or because it'll cause something. Like, and he outlines it because I'll be honest, with two of the three, I was kind of like, what? One of them, I was like, no way he should be even, and I wasn't expecting to hear his name at all. The other one, I expected to be in the top 10. And so when I first heard the names, like, all I'm saying is don't shut it off like, oh, this guy does it. You know, he, he didn't really like listen to everything he puts out because what he does is he, Matt does a great job laying it all out. And then with who he has at number 10, again, he lays it all out because Matt, you and I talked about this. There's going to be a lot of people who think number 10 should be way higher. Like I told you, my best friend thinks number 10 is a top five, if not top three guy. So yeah, I mean, that comes with the territory. You know, one thing I've learned about this is I can't like, you know, I talk to so many people and I respect so many of them. Like, all the things they say are so, so helpful, so insightful. And I tell all of them that, but there's just certain things, like, you know, they're not always going to please everyone. And, I mean, I'm just, I know not everyone's going to agree with me, but I just want them to believe that, hey, like, you know, I did, I did put in the time for this. I'm not just saying this because, you know, I'm Stephen A. Smith and I get paid $10 million a year to say the, the damnedest shit on earth, you know? No, and that, and that's why I always like to kind of preface that like it, it it's not just a hot take or whenever it starts getting tweeted that number ten was this guy or number seven was that guy or whatever it's not just to get it's not to drum up interest obviously it's to he wants interest obviously we, uh, you know Matt wants everybody to listen but it's because you really put in the work and that's what I want to continue to emphasize guys as we start to close out the show here is Matt put in the work and, and give it a try just because of that go listen to the first couple episodes and I guarantee you you'll get hooked every time Matt sends it to me I'm like hey I listened to it he's like what'd you think I said bro I was hooked like and it's not because we're friends it's it's not because I support him or because he's a hoop heads um, you know coming out on hoop heads it's because like I legit get hooked with how he presents it and all the antidotes and the the data and and everything else and I respect the grind I, I can't say that enough if, if for no other reason you have to respect the grind Matt put into it and, and give it a chance because of that I hope you all will will here in a couple weeks and before I let you go Matt, is there anything else you'd like the listeners to know just about the quest for the best and what you did and what they need to know? Yeah, um, just one thing I want to say, and I talk about it in the series, but um, like, please be aware. You know, if you guys can't see me at home, you obviously can't see me because we're not we're not visual. But I'm like a like a five foot nine, five foot eight on a good day, five foot nine. You know, guy who plays pickup basketball and you know takes decent care of himself. Whatever. I'm not one of the great athletes that ever lived, and I don't have any right to be. You know criticizing any of these great athletes i do have to for the for the sake of this exercise nitpick a little bit but at the end of the day even if you're you know if you're top 20 in the nba today if you're top 40 in the nba today top 50 forget all time you have done an exceptional thing in your life and you should be very proud and i i think that i owe these guys and that's why i worked so hard on this series is because i owe these guys that i'm studying the 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 respect to at least, you know, do this objectively and do it as thoroughly as possible and be as fair with them as possible. And I hope that I accurately portrayed all of them to the best of my ability and I respected their legacies and their lives to the best of my ability.
No, absolutely. And again, from what I've heard, you absolutely did, Matt. Before I let you go, I do have to ask about Jeff Jones. So you talked to him, you texted me, said it was one of, you know, an interview you really enjoyed. What, what did you take away from my former college coach, Jeff Jones, uh, when you talked to him um, just about that experience? Yeah. Um, well, one thing that really was cool about Coach Jones was like he asked me questions. And I think that's just so fun because, like, you know, I've conducted 70 interviews and like, like stuff like this, like just me and you talking and me finally getting to share some thoughts is so cool to me because like I'm just sitting there and I'm asking questions and I'm learning a lot and I'm writing down a lot. And I'm a student of the game and I love it. But at the same time, it's cool to have your voice heard. So when Coach Jones was kind of showing interest, like he was intrigued by what I was saying, I thought that was like the coolest thing on earth. Um, some of the cool stuff that like from talking to him about like the game and X's and O's, I think was kind of having it like instilled in me that the whole like Jordan mystique thing, it's pretty real. Like the idea that this guy is tenacious, he's ferocious, you know, he's, he's unrelenting. He, he just, he really is like all the stories you hear about him, like the last dance is a little corny. I know it's Jordan just kind of stroking his ego a little bit, but he truly was a problem on the defensive end of the court as a point of attack defender. He's, he was tough, and, you know, Coach Jones had a, had a real hard time when he was being guarded by him. And, you know, Coach Jones was a very good player in his own right. I think he was he was uh, all ACC, wasn't he? Yeah, he, oh. and he had a cup of tea in the NBA, not quite, you know. And, and Coach Jones was, like, the hard nose, like, grind it, you know, like, that's who he was. And, and that's he instilled a lot of that in me, and that's the way why I am the way I am. But, yeah, I mean, Coach Jones was no slouch whatsoever. Yeah, and I think um, another thing that was cool was just hearing – some of the like the little conversations like that him and Bird and Coach Carlisle had, like when they would sit down. Um, one thing I thought was cool was after practice they would go home and they I forget what he what he said they were eating, but he said they would be eating something sitting on the couch and just watching film, like just like regular guys. And it was just like that's so cool, like just three you know big time coaches just all sitting down and kicking the can. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, uh, I say I tell people all the time Matt, that the, the only thing I miss about when it, I was a college coach for one year, I was the ops guy at American under Jeff Jones after I graduated. And the thing I missed the most was just walking into the office and getting to be around other like minded people who just want to talk hoops all day long. You know, and it wasn't even always about your own team. It was the other debates or conversations or whatever you got into. And like, I miss that so much. You know, and I don't coach college because I wanted to have a family and it's hard to have a be there for your family. Not saying guys don't do it and, and women don't do it, but it's just it's hard to do that. And I wanted to be, you know, in a smaller town, you know, to raise my family. But I'm I sure miss that. You know what you're talking about, obviously you know, not even close to the level of those guys. But yeah, those those guys, they just, they love to talk hoops. You know, like it does not surprise me at all that Coach Jones just wanted to talk hoops with you um, because that's how those guys are built. Now, believe me, Bryce, one day some guy, two guys in a podcast will be talking. They're like, dude, uh, Matt was telling me the story of this time him and Bryce and Bryce Hendricks were sitting down and just talking hoops. And I'm like, man, that must have been the most legendary dialogue ever, <laughs> ever uttered out in basketball history. We, we need to make it happen sometime. We need to all get together and do it. But um, Matt, man, I had a blast. I definitely want to have you back. We will definitely have you back after the, the quest for the best premieres and, and gets going and everybody gets a chance to listen to it and we'll talk about it again and how things are going. But just in general, um, I also want to give you a chance here to plug your stuff. I know you have some big things going with the new network. So let the people know about quest for the best following you and rise network. 
Yeah, so this is going to be a mouthful, but basically the number one thing I ask all of you guys to do is to follow me on Twitter at MattIsa15. Um, it'd be easier if Bryce plugs it, puts it no, in the bio. No, absolutely, because, absolutely. Yeah, my name is spelled funny. He'll, he'll tell you guys later. But long story short, um, so Twitter, you can find me there. Uh, the Quest for the Best, the link to it's there. You can find the Twitter page as well, the links to it there. Um, on Hoopshead Network, you can find me on the website. Um, now, another thing that I think is something we should probably leave for next time, but also in my bio is the Rise Network, which is a new network that's going to be starting up within the next couple of weeks, and it's going to feature some really cool podcasts, including Bryce Hendricks' podcast, but we can talk about that a little bit more, but for now, I suggest you also follow that. But um, moral of the story here is just you know go on my Twitter and please just follow follow all that stuff follow hoops head you know follow motor city hoops i hope you follow them if you listen to their podcast but you know what i mean yeah no so definitely and i will have that on twitter i'll be tagging him it'll be on detroit bad boys in the article um if that's where you found the podcast make sure you go back up to the top of the page and click on that and as always i want to thank each and every one of you that is taking the time to listen to the motor city hoops podcast every week i absolutely love being able to get on here and talk about the detroit pistons and nba and have a platform to do that because you guys listen to it. I hope you are enjoying the episodes and I encourage you to invite a a friend to try it out, leave a rating and leave a review. The stretch of amazing guests will continue next episode as I will be joined by Detroit Pistons historian Keith Black Trudeau and we'll go back and talk about some Pistons history that we missed on the two-part episode 35. If you haven't listened to that, make sure you go check it out. He gave us a history two parts, episode 35, going through everything with the Detroit organization and we're going to come back and talk about some things we missed and get his takes on the current Pistons roster. Look for that to drop next Monday and we'll talk to you then. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Motor City Hoops podcast. Please give us a rating, drop a review, and subscribe. For more content, including video breakdowns, make sure you follow us at Motor City Hoops on Twitter. I hope you join us next episode. Until then, be safe and be well.